there are enough consumers who specifically want local craft beer that I think our mission is more to convince those buyers that our beer is one that they should be picking up than it is to try to outcompete anybody else. And so the first thing we need to do is to convince a store to carry our beer. Um, and then the second thing is to convince the consumer that our beer is the one that is among those that they should take home with them. It's more about telling a really positive story about us and why us as opposed to why not them. This is Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and let's get started. Thank you, Asia, and hello and welcome to Barrel Tasting. I'm Howard Fletcher. In the middle of October, in the heart of Oktoberfest, I had the pleasure of visiting a craft brewery that's right in my hometown. I had to sit down to speak with Christian Lakey. You'll hear he taught me how to correctly pronounce his name because I destroy names on the regular. Any listener to the show will know that. He's the co-owner, CEO, and master brewer of Silver Branch Brewery in Silver Spring, Maryland. Silver Branch was founded by Christian Lakey and Brett A. Robinson in January of 2017. As longtime beer lovers with an appreciation of the four major brewing cultures, and Christian straightened me out on that too. <laughs> they brew and serve excellent beer inspired by European and American beer traditions. Silver Branch's beers are multidimensional so that, as they like to say, the last sip of your last beer is as pleasing as the first sip of your first beer. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with craft brewer and beer enthusiast, Christian Lakey. Let's all raise a glass. Okay, well, I'm here at Silver Branch, and I'm here with Christian Lake. Lakey. Lakey? Yeah. What, what, what is the origin of that name? It's actually a combination of my last name with my wife's last name before oh. we got married. Oh, so nice. I was Otke, and she was Finlay. So we took the last syllable of both of our names and stuck them together. So it's oh, a, wow. there is no origin other than... Uh, no, that is the origin. That <laughs> yeah, is an origin. That's a, that, was, that was a good combination. It's yeah. a good combination. Yeah. You know, My partner's name is Joan. Her name is Joan Zimmerman. Okay. My name's Fletcher, so I don't know how you combine those to it's, get something as, yeah. as musical and as yours, as, as nice. Um, so listen, uh, tell me a little bit about, first let me say, we're in your tap room, and this place is fabulous. I've never been here before. It's a great space. We love it. And it's nice. Now, you've been here since 2017? We've been here 18 months. Oh, so you had another space before then? Uh, no, no. no this, uh, this, this we opened. This is our first space. Okay. Yeah. So we okay. were founded. Um, well, I think we were founded in 2017. That's right. I got but that number. It takes over, you know, over a year and a half to actually go from, you know, filing your organizational documents to actually having a constructed uh, spot. So, right. Yeah. So you are you actually brew here? We do. So when did, when did you just start brewing 18 months ago or did you brew somewhere else before? I know you have a history in brewing, but right. did you brew for Silver Branch somewhere else? Nope. Silver Branch's first beers were brewed here. Okay. And uh, we've never brewed them anywhere else. I mean, we did have Oliver brew two of our recipes under contract before we got our doors open here so that mm -hmm. we would have beer to sell mm -hmm. the door the day that we were able to open. Sure. But, uh, but other than that, every beer we've brewed has been made right here. So you opened this with a partner. Yep. 
uh, who is Brett Robinson. Brett Robinson. And I was I did a little homework and watched a video that he all did, that he did mm -hmm. with someone else. And if I got it straight, you are a little bit more on the production side. That's He's correct. a little bit more in the front of the house That's type correct. of situation. Yeah. So tell me, which is great, because I love to talk about beer production, which I know very little about. Okay. Tell me about your history in beer. How did you get into it? And So like a lot of professional brewers, I got into it uh, by home brewing. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, had a friend in college who uh, brewed a little bit. And uh, so we made some ciders together. Uh, made a couple of batches of beer together, and mm -hmm. I just quickly fell in love with the process of making beer, the sort of near alchemy character of transforming these raw ingredients into this lovely beverage. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Where, I, now, where did you do that? That was up in central New York. Okay. Yeah, uh, in, in Ithaca. All right. And uh, so after I graduated, uh, as I you know, bumped around the different parts of the eastern seaboard, I just uh, never stopped brewing. Mm -hmm. Uh, no matter where I lived, I would I would find a way. I was brewing in my wife's. Uh, she was then my fiance. She had a little um, breezeway underneath her house on Capitol Hill, and I was sticking uh, carboys down there, even though the fermentation temperatures were nowhere near where they should have been. I just uh, stuck with it, <laughs> and uh, uh, I knew I knew when it was a hobby that was lasted as long and as many places as it did that it was something that. You know, I loved enough to, to really strongly consider whether I wanted it to turn into a career. Uh, so when we had our first baby, um, both of us were working at an organization where we met, where we got a 10-week um, sabbatical, which is essentially just a vacation Right. Um, after five years of, of working there. So we took our little six-month-old over to Belgium, and I got to work with a brewery and wow. spend days uh, visiting other breweries, uh, brewing with them. And uh, that just really made it more concrete that this is something I wanted to pursue. It took another 10 years after that, but eventually I, I made the jump into uh, professional brewing and then uh, did that long enough that I felt like it was time to uh, write a business plan and, and start Silver Branch. Yeah, well, looks like uh, you wrote a good plan. <laughs> uh, you moved around, yeah. you said. You started in Ithaca and you moved around different places. Now, mm -hmm. when you were doing that home brewing, were you experimenting with different types of brews, flavors, that type of thing, or were you staying with kind of a consistent recipe? No, I always did through different styles. Did uh, you find that the areas of the country you happened to be in had an influence on what you used or did you just decide? Well, th for things like ciders and mead and things like that, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, no, I think it was influenced more by the fact that I, uh, when I was a teenager, my family moved around uh, abroad and I fell in love with German and Central European styles. And then we visited Britain and, um, I really liked uh, the, the whole um, culture of the British pub and the mm -hmm. hand-pulled ales. And then when we lived in Africa, um, the, the idea of the foreign extra stout um, was also just really appealing. So, Where in Africa did you live? In Kenya. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was a lovely, lovely place. High altitude. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get used to uh, not a whole lot of oxygen. In yeah. There. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I think for me... Um, recapturing some of those cultural experiences that I had was more of a driver than a regional driver as to where I was in the United States. I saw on your website uh, that you said, if I believe I'm correct, you were married in Cambodia. We got engaged in Cambodia. Got engaged mm -hmm. in Cambodia. Okay. Yeah. So um, tell me about Asian beer, because as I said before, I don't, I love drinking beer. <laughs> I don't know a lot about the production. So and you do, did mention the different styles, the four different, I guess, regions of beer mm -hmm. being, uh, I guess, North American, Europe, Asia, and Africa. 
uh, well, Belgium, Belgium, Britain, United States, and Central Europe. Oh, yeah. close. <laughs> <laughs> close. Um, as far as brewing styles or ingredients, is there anything that was particularly unique to like that Southeast Asian beer, or do they pretty much brew like they brew in Europe, say? I would say more the latter, that essentially it's regional interpretations on different styles. Okay. And so in Southeast Asia, you end up with a lot of very refreshing beers. Um, so they would take a slightly thinner approach to international Pilsner maybe, uh, just because of the heat. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, um, they have these big, rich foreign extra stouts, uh, the way that you do in Jamaica and the rest of the Caribbean mm -hmm. and parts of Africa where you've got the, uh, the Guinness, the foreign extra stout uh, version of Guinness. So yeah, you've got those two ends of the spectrum uh, where for some reason a really sweet stout tastes wonderful on a hot day, but so does that you know, nice, refreshing uh, Singha or Tsingtao, um, you know, where you, it's not like drinking water, but it's refreshing enough that yeah. you can, uh, you know, have it on a really hot, sweaty day and feel like, oh yeah, that, that really hit the spot, even if it didn't have a ton of flavor. Now, do you have a particular region of the four you mentioned that you cotton to that you like better than I, others? I find myself again and again, coming back to the, the Pilsners and the, uh, the, the balanced beers of Central Europe. Mm -hmm. I love all style, all styles of beers. And there are months where I, I'm on a big IPA kick and I'll you know drink a lot of IPA. Mm -hmm. um, but then I find myself gravitating back toward those balanced beers. And right yeah. now we have a beer that I call Lost in the Fog, uh, which is a California common, mm -hmm. which is actually very much an American style since it was invented in, in, in California. Mm -hmm. But it takes, I would say, a Central European approach to brewing where um, you know it is a relatively hoppy beer, but the hop is very much in balance with the malt, and it's uh, you know a, a beer in the low five percent alcohol range, and so you can have two or three of them over the course of an evening, and and not feel like you shouldn't drive home. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I found with the uh, the I guess the explosion of craft beer, I was a beer drinker back uh, mostly in my youth, so it was in more in college, say. And I started getting into cocktails and wine, and I just drank a beer here and there. Mm -hmm. And it usually was a mainstream American beer, you know, or a Heineken or something like that. I sure. really like Heineken beer. Well, then when I started drinking craft beers, going to these microbreweries and having these craft beers, I was finding that I couldn't consume more than like one and a half. Mm -hmm. It was like drinking over what I used to say. It was like drinking a loaf of bread. That's what it seems like. Yes, that's they, they are. They, they they are definitely more filling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. But uh, but I take the approach that if I'm going to have beer, I would rather have one beer that I love than three beers that I find to be uh, a little unsatisfying. Uh, no, absolutely. And I had to get uh, into that. I had to orient, think of it that way because to me, beer was a more of a refreshing drink, like mm -hmm. you said, alcoholic. Yes, but you know, when you grow up in the states like I did, and you're you're drinking Budweiser. Or something like that that you can have like once you become an adult, like six, and go on with your day. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, yes. it's it comes to quite a shock when you run into like you finish a pint and you feel like you can really feel it. You yeah, know? yeah. You know, but it is it is very good. I saw that uh, I, my birthday happens to be St. Patrick's Day. Oh, very good. And I did see your little video on on Emerald Castle beer, <laughs> which is still making us laugh because we thought we were being so funny and clever, but some people actually. Uh, thought we were being serious with that video. And so that took us by surprise. We like, had to start 
letting people know, oh, no, that was that was a joke. Yeah. Was a so joke. you don't that produce was... it year round. It's just a, a around St. Patrick's Day, a March beer. We actually just made one keg of it, you know, just that, <laughs> just to be able to say that, yes, we you know, if you if you saw the video and you come asking for green beer, we can we can give you a green beer. Right. Right. But yeah. No, green beer is not something we actually do. Here. Yeah. That was just us uh, you know, amusing ourselves. Yeah. Well, I could tell it was it was done in jest, <laughs> but uh I, I, as I watched it, I have to say, as I kept watching, I was like, I wonder if they decided just to make green beer as a staple all the time. I was like, no, no, okay. no. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember when I was in high school in English class and uh, we studied uh, in uh, Blake and the, the subtle satire that you could almost not quite realize was meant as you know, political commentary. Right. Uh, or social commentary that that was the kind of humor that I particularly enjoy. Yeah. And so I think uh, the Emerald Castle is very much in that vein. And perhaps subtlety isn't always your friend. No, but you guys played it straight. I will tell you that. So if you're listening, go to YouTube and look up uh, Emerald Castle. It's pretty fun. So that so since that's not a regular beer, let's talk about some of your flagship beers, because I think you have at least three. We do have three flagships. Yeah. One is, a gla- I like this name, Glass Castle. Yeah. What is Glass Castle? Glass Castle is a Czech style Pilsner. Mm-hmm. And I would say that this is a style of beer that I fell in love with before any other. Um, mm. When uh, the Iron Curtain fell, uh, my family was living abroad and we were we went on vacation to uh, what was then Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. And um, just the 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 un- incredible drinkability and yet satisfying flavor of that beer was something I hadn't experienced before mm. that uh, the balance is just so supreme. And so uh, I knew that that was a beer that would always be uh, one that I, I wanted to to really pursue until I got it you know, just right. Is there a, and I don't want you to necessarily advertise for someone else, but is there a Czech beer? Because I wasn't familiar with a Czech beer that's distributed in the states is there one that you can get here in the states that you know of? oh there are a, a couple that are are particularly readily available and uh, one of them is uh pilsner Urquell. that's the best okay. known um budvar which is sold in the united states as czech bar is, okay. is pretty widely avail- available and staro Pramen is another one that's also uh, okay. widely available okay so there are but, a number but, but uh, i'd recommend just go get some glass castle it, <laughs> the, european yeah. pilsners is a style that doesn't travel well um it's or Pilsner generally, because is it heat sensitive? It's, it's it's a heat sensitive and it's um, oxygen sensitive oh. because it's such a pale right. and subtle beer that um, any faults you get from time, essentially in package, they show up. Mm-hmm. And so the beers that you get that have been exported are almost always pasteurized, and they so they're heat damaged from that, and then they spend time on a ship and you know in hot. Um, warehouses mm-hmm. and things like that so by the time you get them they are not what they were when they left the the, the brewery in in the country of origin okay. so i do believe that your pilsner is a style that is really best drunk from a local brewery to digress a little bit in that direction um i do a lot i got into this uh podcasting about craft beverages through wine virginia and maryland wine mm-hmm. virginia wine mainly uh, and that's what i really know most about i'm still not an expert there either however wines obviously you have to control temperature and the the way you store them you you know they're definitely sensitive however age is not necessarily an enemy of wine some wines it is most wines it is eventually but Mm -hmm. um not so much as beer 
Now, what what is like? Say you you guys brew a batch of glass castles. Say we'll use that as an example. Mm-hmm. What is the shelf life of that? Or do you never even worry about that because you're finished with it before? Oh no, you even get it, there? it's something we very much worry about. Okay. for all of our beer and every brewery worries about. Well, um, I just thought maybe you get rid of it. You, you go through it no, before. I mean, it becomes we do that. have that advantage, right? As a relatively small brewery uh, with limited distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, We've pretty much distributed in Maryland, not uh-huh. even all of Maryland, and Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, our beer doesn't have the disadvantage of having, be, having to be shipped really far away. So we can be relatively confident that most of our beer is consumed within six weeks of packaging, uh-huh. by and large. You know, uh-huh. You'll find six-packs sitting in certain stores, and you're like, okay, well, you know, we have to get that six-pack out of there because that beer isn't really... It's, it's, it's older than six months now. Right. We really would rather not have that out there any yeah, longer. Yeah, understood. So you, you see that happen. But yes, we, we have to worry about that a little bit less from the perspective of the beer isn't being shipped to California mm-hmm. or to Europe. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the bigger the brewery you have and the more capital you have, the better you can put processes into place that protect the beer. So yeah. we just got a new canning line. So our dissolved oxygen levels are much lower now than they were with our previous canning line. So our beer has a longer shelf life as a result. Right. But every week we have a quality control, quality assurance tasting, where we go through all of the beers that we've put aside to make sure that there's still you know, something that we feel good about having consumers buy in, in, out in the stores and mm-hmm. just to get a sense of how long the shelf life is. And we're happy to see that Glass Castle specifically, but also all of the rest of our beers the um, shelf life has increased considerably since we have our new canning line. So we're really, oh, we're really happy about that. Yeah. yeah, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Coors wouldn't distribute outside of Colorado, oh, or yeah. at least definitely not east of the Mississippi River. And so, you know, when you had friends in the 70s and the 80s go out to Colorado, they'd always come back with like a case of Coors. Yeah. It was like a treasure. That was kind of funny. Okay, let's get to Quantum Shift. Tell me about Quantum Shift, your other beer. So Quantum Shift is uh, an American IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, we consider it an East Coast IPA, which is, for us, just um, an indication of a beer that is more balanced between malt and hops. You know, West Coast IPA is kind of well-known in that it's supposed to be extremely hop-forward, so a lot of people brew that to be very, very dry, and um, with the idea that the hops pop more in uh, Quantum Shift, we left a little bit more of a, a malt sweetness in the finish, uh, which I think actually adds a bit of a juicy component to mm-hmm. the character. Um, the reason we call it Quantum Shift specifically is that we change the hops periodically in the recipe. Mm. So the, the the exact hops shift from time to time. And so right now we're on version 13 or volume 13 of Quantum Shift. Uh-huh. Um, it used to be that every single batch we changed it, but now we've uh, gone to a, a different approach where We'll brew three or four batches with a given recipe, and then we'll move on to the, the next volume. Now, will that have to do with, and I was going to get into, it's a good time to get into this, with sourcing um, as, of the hops? Do you, is it a different hop or a different source for the hop when you shift it, or is it? it? It does change. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes it's the same supplier, but a different variety from that mm-hmm. supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, other times it is um, a whole different supplier altogether. Mm-hmm. Is it, are there some things that are, and I've heard this once, and that's why I'm asking you about it since you're the expert. Uh, are, are there times or have there been times when hops are hard to acquire? There have been times. When yeah. There was a hop shortage a number of years back. So if, 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 you're, if part of your question is whether or not the reason we took this approach was to avoid having issues with hop shortages, um, 
I would no, say, no, I wasn't thinking about no, you that, weren't but, thinking about but, that. Yeah. but that might be a good reason to do it. Yeah, yeah. That was not the primary reason for doing okay. it. it. It does actually, it's convenient in that regard and sure. that we don't have to contract for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of, you know, these exact hops. And mm-hmm. although contracts are not nearly as hard to come by now as mm-hmm. they had been in the past, this does allow us to um, diversify our sourcing some, which is helpful. But really the main reason that we took this approach is that uh, IPA drinkers, in my experience, are the least inclined to settle on a beer that is their beer. Uh, they always are looking for that new IPA that nobody else has had yet or specific they haven't had yet. Yeah. And uh, so the hope was by changing the hops in quantum shift from time to time, it would give them a reason to reach for that quantum shift six pack <laughs> at the store again, yeah. rather than being like, oh, I've had that one. You know, I'm going to yeah. go have this other one because a lot of breweries now are coming out with you know, a single batch of IPA and under a, under a different name and a different label all the time. And really? so you go to the store and you're confronted with you know 20 IPAs you've never seen before, it seems like. Um, so we wanted quantum shift to pop up like, you know, as a as an interesting beer for them to consider repeatedly um, instead of being like a, you know, I have I, you found that, that one. Have you found that to be the case with your IPA, IPA drinkers? Do they come in and say, have you changed the recipe yet? Or Yes, we actually have found that people um, will email us saying, oh, you know, I really like volume 11 better than like volume 12 <laughs> or well, wow, volume good. 12 really hit it out of the park. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it has actually become a part of the conversation, which which we enjoy a lot. You know, I'm not the biggest fan. I've acquired a taste for IPAs, which you described in Quantum Shift. Probably that's why I'm from the East Coast. That's probably why I like it the most. But when when they really became popular, I guess I first had one, to my knowledge, uh, was probably seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it really at all, which is interesting because I, gin used to be my drink and kind of a, you know, gin is very, has a very distinct flavor. Yes, flavor flavor forward. Right. And so, and so are IPAs. But Mm -hmm. I, I, like I said, I was looking for a refreshing beer rather than what's in an IPA. But well, I've, I've and IPA has evolved a lot. And I think that probably is a part of what you experienced. Yeah. So for a while in the 90s, IPA was all about who could make the more bitter IPA than <laughs> anybody else. And then it became, you know, who can squeeze more hops into IPA than mm-hmm. anybody else. And now mm-hmm. I think it's become a bit more nuanced where, um, well, I'm not sure it's more nuanced. It's just, it's just a different target these days. Now yeah. it's all about hazy IPAs and which aren't supposed to be bitter at all. And it's supposed to taste like fruit juice and it just changes with time. But sure. I think that um, for a lot of people, the the extremely bitter IPAs that were all the rage for a while was mm-hmm. a bit off-putting or just, just hard to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, it was definitely, there was a unique animal that was for, and like you said, they were very enthusiastic about it. I've seen guys line up date, like they're lining up for concert tickets. For a particular IPA that's going to be released, you know, so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And uh, the last of your flagship beers, are, I, I think, is Chronicle. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. So Chronicle, uh, this brings us back to Cambodia, where um, one of the beers I particularly enjoyed there was the ABC Stout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've uh, enjoyed you know, foreign extra stouts, you know, in different parts of the world. It's just uh, something about the... Um, combination of robust roast flavor but a slightly sweet finish um and a real maltiness it just uh it's just the smooth silkiness of that 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 it's it all comes together in a really beautiful way and so um that's just a style i've always loved and and when when we um 
just we're looking at which what we should have as our originally we had four flagships mm. and we were thinking about which our four flagships would be we wanted to have a dark beer be one of them and um a foreign extra stout became a logical choice for us how difficult as you were uh describing that beer that's the first thing that came to my mind was like so many permutations of beers that you could make it must be quite a challenge unless you hit hit on something it's like eureka this is the perfect beer what beers you decide to make your flagships or to continually produce as opposed to make them a limited edition how do you how did you strike up on these three or at one time four i would agree with you it's really difficult yeah because there's so many beers out there and they all deserve recognition and mm -hmm. and to be brewed so people can enjoy them so i think it's just a combination of beers that a brewer particularly loves mm -hmm. in combination with beers that you think pe other people love enough for them to be commercially viable. Yeah. You know, there are definitely examples of beers out there that I love that we haven't brewed yet because I'm worried that there just isn't quite enough demand. Yeah. Um, a Ralph beer, a German style smoked beer would be among those. Mm. Um, Although Port City just released one, so I'm going to be uh, <laughs> hitting those guys up for some information about whether or not um, it moves for them. Right. Because we would love to brew one um, at some point and just have a little, you know, smoked uh, meats and smoked beer festival around that. So, oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Okay, you have seasonal beers. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't, have, I didn't make the list of seasonal beers. I imagine they change over time. Um, so let's just talk about this season. What what beer are, we, are you serving now and Tell us about that. So seasonal beers and one-off beers for us, um, it's hard to know where one begins and where one ends. Uh, we have some thoughts about how over time that'll become more distinct. Mm -hmm. um, but right now we do a combination of seasonal beers and one-off beers. And I'd say the seasonal beers have begun to be ones that we've now made a second time. Okay. So um, while we ran out of it because it was very popular, Oktoberfest, obviously this is the season for Meritzen. Mm -hmm. um, so our Oktoberfest is actually a classic German-style Meritzen. Um, some people make a fest beer, which is a lighter bodied version with uh, fewer um, or less less Munich malt, so less of a melanoidin character. So our Oktoberfest was was very popular. It, it ran out. Right now, I don't think we have a beer on tap that we would consider necessarily a seasonal beer. Although I think Lost in the Fog might become that sort of post Oktoberfest um, seasonal release, mm -hmm. uh, just because it's actually, in some ways, not too dissimilar from an Oktoberfest. It's it's definitely hoppier. Mm -hmm. um, and it's got uh, the Northern Brewer hops, which um, is a classic German style hop, but it's a, a bit more assertive in its flavor profile than some other German hops. Um, so I think Lost in the Fog right now is the one I would consider to be um, our, our more seasonal um, style release. And um, uh, alongside that, we have a number of one-offs. Like we have uh, two hazy IPAs right now, um, Delusional Optimism, and we just yesterday released um, Squid Vicious. Um, <laughs> we have a, um, a couple of uh, sour beers, uh, Goza-style beers. Okay. Um, is that are, what Squid Vicious is? No, Squid Vicious is a, a hazy IPA. Okay. okay. Um, we have one called Lord Squeegee, uh, which yeah. is um, a fruited uh, sour, mm -hmm. um, 8%, so it's a little higher ABV than we've done before. Um, we also have some 5% uh, uh, level um, fruited sours, uh, the Squeegee Master series. Mm -hmm. We've got one with uh, cherries and lime and one with uh, guava and lime. So those are some of the more uh, one-off style beers that we have on top right now. Wow. I'm, a, I'm a 
I'm very proud to be from Silver Spring, although the Silver Spring I'm from is all north of here. Okay. You know, when so, I tell people who aren't from the area, I'm from Silver Spring, they're like, oh, really? I worked at the Discovery Building one time. I'm like, well, I'm actually a little five, about five miles <laughs> north of that in what's called Colesville. That's, Colesville, right. yeah. That's where I live. Yeah. But um, I'm real, I was real excited to come and speak with you since you, you, you set up here in Silver Spring. Um, you know, besides Chris Fields and Gifford's ice cream, which were some old time, uh, one, one was an ice cream store and one was a seafood place that was down here. Silver Spring really was mostly uh, office buildings and, and metro mm -hmm. down here. And there were, you know, a few uh, retail, there's a shopping center, retail places, stuff like that. But now a lot of places have popped up, which are uh, restaurants, bars, and specialty food places or specialty drink or some, some type of place, which I re I'm really excited to see. So tell me about why you chose to to set up here and how is it doing business in Silver Spring? Well, we chose uh, Silver Spring because my business partner and I both uh, were working and living in Tacoma Park. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to start a brewery that was very much a part of the community that we were a part of. Mm -hmm. We both since actually moved to Silver Spring. Um, mm -hmm. That was the main reason why we were really keen on having it be in Silver Spring. Um, and then as we started looking for locations, um, this place uh, became available and, and we were excited about not just being part of Silver Spring broadly, but actually being about being part of downtown Silver Spring. Yeah, you're right here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're a minute walk from the metro station, yeah. literally. And so we just love the fact that we are in the heart of things down mm -hmm. here. And not only us, but you know, two other breweries are in the heart of Silver Spring. So I agree with you. It's really transformed in, in a in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like being a resident of Silver Spring now, there's just so much to do. I mean, obviously COVID throws a wrench in everything, but right. you know that will at some point <laughs> be in the past and it'll just be a lovely uh, town to walk around and be able to visit three breweries in an afternoon and you know multiple Ethiopian and lots of other style restaurants. It's, uh, it's just a great spot. Yeah, uh, you must be, you segue correct, <laughs> right into the things on my outline. So that's, that's good. I was going to ask you about COVID because you know, uh, COVID uh, and the, the, some of the business shutdowns and um, restrictions on how we interact with each other really have hit restaurants and bar industry. And uh, our governor, Hogan, mm -hmm. you know, was pretty proactive on, on taking steps to make sure people didn't get out and about. Yeah. So how did you all cope with it and how are you coping with it right now? So the... The big, the biggest way that we coped with it was to uh, shift our approach, our business um, uh, model, essentially, to be very focused on selling wholesale beer. Mm -hmm. um, with the essentially stay home order, people started buying a lot more beer in in package to drink at home because mm -hmm. it was the only thing they could do. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we had a canning line and uh, were able to. Um, put all of our beer production into cans and we even took some of our servers and, and put them on the canning line just because <laughs> yeah. we, and we were cake, canning out of kegs as, uh, as a way of having enough beer to put out there into wholesale. With the uh, reopening, we now are selling beer out of the tap room again, but in the interim, the wholesale sales have just become a bigger part of what we do overall. Mm. So that would be, I think, the biggest shift that we've seen um, in, in how we approach business uh, with, with, with COVID. 
How challenging do you find with wine producers in Virginia and Maryland? Uh, they have to compete against California and some of the larger producers. So one of the hurdles they have to jump over is not only people's palates adjusting to understanding what they're drinking here in, in Virginia and Maryland mm -hmm. as, compo as compared to California, but you can get a good red California wine uh, retail for about 25 bucks, whereas uh, it's probably going to be double that uh, for a similar quality Virginia wine or a Maryland wine, mm -hmm. maybe even more than double. Um, so when talking to them, they tell me that you really have to kind of look at buying a local wine is buying almost artisanal cheese or, or buying organic, that type of thing, your mindset. How, how are your, how's your competition against the larger, I understand it's a different product, but against the larger national brands, especially since some of them have started to kind of try to make a crafty type of beer to compete with craft brewers. I think that we're not sure that we are actually in direct competition with mm -hmm. the large national brewers. I mean, we are, but we're not. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's hard to say that, but there are enough beer drinkers who, you know, almost exclusively drink craft beer. Mm -hmm. Partially, I think, as a matter of supporting local, but partially because they are in love with fresh beer. Uh, they're in love with uh, the flavors that they get from small beer producers. And even though you're correct that some of the larger producers are trying to make their own um, crafty brands mm -hmm. or more commonly these days, just buying yeah. uh, a brewery so that you know, they just allow that brewery then to keep making their, their beers. Um, there are enough consumers who specifically want local craft beer that I think our mission is more to convince those buyers that our beer is one that they should be picking up mm -hmm. than it is to try to outcompete anybody else. Um, you know, there's obviously an issue with stores only being able to put so many beers on their shelves. And so the first thing we need to do is to convince a store to carry our beer. Right. Um, and then the second thing is to convince the consumer that our beer is the one that is among those that they should take home with them. And so I think it's more about telling a really positive story about us and why us as opposed to why not them. Uh, right. And so we are, but we don't really... We don't really obsess about competing with, you know, with other breweries. It's just more about telling a really positive story about what we're doing. So in that light, if I were to leave here and tell somebody, go to Silver Branch Brewing, and they said, well, why? Or what, what is it about what they do? What is it about what you do? Why should people come and give you guys a try? I think the reason a lot of people love coming to Silver Branch is that we do have this approach of celebrating the four major beer cultures. And I mentioned it earlier, but I'll just mention it again. It's uh, United States, Belgium, Britain, and, and Central Europe. Mm -hmm. Central Europe meaning Germany, Czech Republic, Poland. Uh, it's just there's a wide area there which encompasses different countries which make related beer styles, which is why we didn't say Germany. All right. And the reason that that's important is because I don't want to say there's something for everybody, but when you consider the fact that we also do serve wine and cocktails, there really is something for everybody. So, you know, you may have a friend who is, you know, into the, you know, the double dry hopped hazy uh, IPAs, while you prefer, you know, a classic, subtle uh, European lager. At Silver Ranch, you'll find both. Mm -hmm. And um, specifically right now, we have a really nice, uh, large outdoor patio. 
Um, so, uh, the, you know, COVID is um, something that isn't, it's, it, it's not a reason to not come here. I'll mm-hmm. just put it that way. We have a really nicely spaced outdoor patio. Um, we have a nice, friendly feeling uh, tap room. So it's just, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great way to spend time with a friend uh, or family member. Well, I did see on one list, you appeared as the best brewery to take it for a date. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so, so that's, it must be true. I, I drag my wife down here periodically. It's a, <laughs> we always have a nice time. Do you have any uh, events or anything coming up? I know so much is kind of iffy and up in the air, but is there anything you... And let me tell you, this episode should drop like mid-November. Mid-November, okay. So is there anything that may be coming up near the end of the year that you'd like to tell anybody about? Or Well, one change that we have made over the last i'd say four to six weeks is that we have started to um have a lot of events and really um market them again Mm -hmm. because after we were allowed to start opening again we were apprehensive about whether or not uh it would look like we're encouraging social gatherings and like you know a lot of tight um groupings of people so we were nervous about even advertising oktoberfest but um we Gave ourselves enough time that people, when they were coming here, they were complimenting us on the social distancing policies and the fact that it does feel safe. And so we've started to feel comfortable again about actually organizing special events and and marketing them. So every weekend we actually have something fun going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Like uh, right now we have what we're calling sweater weather, where um, our kitchen is doing uh, three soups that we're putting into sourdough bread bowls. (laughs) And we're putting, um, you know, making lattes and um, boozy if you want them. Uh, so like, there's every every weekend we're doing something just to make it festive and fun, mm-hmm. for some reason to come out. And uh, we are going to, I think, I'm trying to remember the exact date, but in, in mid to late November, we're reintroducing our glue vine, our mold wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to have a whole um, event around that, this idea of, of warm drinks to enjoy outside. We're getting some, uh, you can see one over there, actually, we're getting some little uh, propane fire tables um, and and just trying to make sure that no matter the weather, it's still a fun place to come and gather and see people um, yeah. while still feeling safe. Yeah. Well, for uh, now, it's a lot drier than here. But for a while, I did live out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a lot of places that do outside seating at all times of the year, yeah. just with the space heaters, you know, those large heaters. So. Right, right. Which the <laughs> large space heaters are currently unavailable on the market. Um, <laughs> I bet. But, uh, but yeah, rush I, on them. I just I, I think that. When you spend time with friends, you know, you're willing to overlook it being a little chilly for, for a couple hours. And yeah, so yeah. We're, we're confident people will come out to, and enjoy the space. Yeah. Uh, two more questions for you, Christian. I know you got got some stuff to do. Uh, if you could now, you opened, I know you didn't say you opened the doors here in uh, 18 months ago, mm-hmm. but you officially, I guess, opened or went into business 2017. Mm-hmm. So if you could send a message back to yourself in 2016 about something that you've learned that you wish you had known back in 2016 that you didn't know what do you know what it would be that's an interesting question um i think it might be uh you know stock up on sleep now (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just uh trying to think it's been it's it's been an incredible ride Mm. um and i think it's been what i've expected in some regards in that there's a bit of an all, jack of all trades feel mm-hmm. to opening a business mm-hmm. where, um, you know, one day you're fixing a toilet or a water heater and the next day you're working on financial spreadsheets. Um, 
and that's really why I became a professional brewer. I was tired of sitting behind a desk all yeah. day. Yeah. Um, so I've loved that aspect of it. And I think that has been in line with my expectations. I think um, you know, the, the anxieties of just you know, tracking the business and the finances, I think that's one aspect that I don't think I realized would be what it is. But I don't know that there's anything I could have told myself back then other than just that, hey, this is going to be a really important piece of this puzzle. So you know, um, expect the, uh, you know, the constant tracking of money and, you know, uh, you know, figuring out what, how much to expend in any given week on different things and things like that. So the financial management, I think, is the one piece of it that uh, I would have said, you know, definitely uh, keep reading those books and, and learning as much as you can about that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's real. Because I'm making a transition to doing this professionally from 20 years of real estate. Mm -hmm. okay. And yeah, that is, that is something. Learning that you got to track every penny yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just stay on top of it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And finally, are there any misconceptions that you'd like to clear up about craft beer or just a tap room in general or even Silver Branch? I know sometimes when I speak to some of these uh, entrepreneurs who are in craft beveraging, they find that there's something people come through the door with commonly that is a misunderstanding or something they had a preconception about it. Have you run into any of that? No, I don't think we've had too many um, misconceptions. I think that one thing I, I would love to send a message about is that sometimes I think people think of craft beer as being a little um, pretentious or um, not for them. Um, we strongly don't agree with that. And I think when you were talking earlier about some American beer styles, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people poo-poo, um, you know, some of the, the big beers that are out there. And I always like to tell people that even though you may not love Budweiser or one of the other, you know, mega beers as a style, technically those are extremely well-made beers. Um, <laughs> they're, they're hitting the mark as to what they want to be brewing extremely well. Right. Uh, they're made by very proficient brewers, made very carefully. Um, it's not the beer that I choose to make, but right. there's, there's definitely a place for that. So we don't discount any style as being you know, beneath us or anything like that. We just celebrate all of the styles that we love to drink out there. So, you know, like I said, we love balanced beer, we love hoppy beer and, and everything in between. And when people come in, sometimes they feel shy about asking questions about beers. And we always just try to tell them, no, like we are, we are super friendly. So as much as I love stone brewing, like I, See us as being the antithesis of the you are not worthy branding that they put on their arrogant bastard um, <laughs> beer, which is a fantastic beer that I love right. to drink. But that is not how we feel at all about craft beer. It's like you are absolutely worthy. Please come in. And just any question is not a silly question. Yeah. yeah. Well, Christian, I'm going to reiterate. This is a really great space. I'm, I'm looking over your shoulder right now at your outside patio area. It's really big, spacious. So if anyone's listening who hasn't been to Silver Branch and wants to investigate craft beer. I know I'll be back. And uh, it, the other thing I was very pleased to see, which I want to mention, is that what you mentioned a little bit is not only do you serve beer, but you have wine, cocktails, and coffee. You have a pretty impressive coffee bar over there too. So you yeah. have a little bit of something for everybody. So uh, thanks again. And I look forward to coming back. Appreciate your time. It's been fun meeting you. Great, thanks. Well, that's another show in the books. I had a real fantastic time visiting Silver Branch Brewing, and I know you would too. So if you're ever in or near Silver Spring, Maryland, if you happen to be in Northwest Washington, or if you're just riding on Metro's red line, put it on your itinerary. You'll be glad you did. 
I'd like to thank Christian and all the great folks at Silver Branch for being so welcoming and flexible with their time. I very much appreciate it. And I would like to ask you to please subscribe to the pod if you have not done so yet. I'll introduce you to some of the best folks in the DMV and surrounding area, and that is a promise. Please tell your friends about us and have them tune in. They will thank you for it, and you know I thank you. I'm all about promoting the craft beverage industry in the DMV because it's some of the best in the nation. And if you agree, please share the podcast. The more it grows, the more I can get the word out about the craft beverage culture here. And that's what I'm all about. This podcast was produced by my friends at Q9. Listen, if they can make a hack like me sound good, imagine what they could do for someone who is uh, a little less hackish. If you're in the podcast biz, please Google Q9 and ask them about their services. I think you will like what they do. I know I do. I'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV to introduce you to. Uh, I know there's a ton of media you could be listening to besides me, and so that's why I work so hard to bring you the content that I do. I truly appreciate your time investment in me, and again, I'd like to thank you for listening. Remember, always have a designated driver, so I'll be able to see you next time. Isvikata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.